Hey, bartender, Joe Boo needs a refill. Major League is next. everybody welcome into episode seven of the movie goats podcast and today we have 1989 baseball comedy major league john moyer on the mic brian and brady joining in as always and we're gonna talk about some incredible fashion some hair some closer walkout music but first as always gotta say hello to the boys Brian, you had a busy weekend. You want to fill us in on uh, everything that's going on with you? Yeah, sure. Uh, a lot going on this weekend. Busted out the grill. Um, it hasn't rained here in Northern Virginia in forever, so we had it's been great grilling weather, I guess. Cooked some burgers for some friends. Uh, the in-laws were over on Saturday. We had a good time. Uh, there's this like driving range that opened up down down the road from me that used to be a top golf it's like an abandoned top golf and it's kind of like the blue collar top golf it's called rudy's it's my it's our spot so i took the in-laws there had a good time ate some food and hit some balls um yeah man very 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 good weekend relaxing excellent now down to our man on the sand brady what have you been up to this week i had i had quite the weekend i i, I had a moment i think it maybe it was one of the the most full bozo mode I've gone in some time. Uh, so people don't know this, but I live with musicians and annually my roommate, he hosts a little uh, music festival, if you will, at, at the lake. So we went out to the lake and I, you know, I've been, I've been tanning in preparation, you know, cause you know, you want to look your best. And uh, I tan 20 minutes a day, every day for two months. And then somebody did comment the day before, wow, you should get some sun. So they didn't realize I've been tanning, but we went there I'm putting the sun lotion on because I don't want to burn. I'm a pale guy. I use somebody's facial spray. It's labeled facial spray. I had an allergic reaction to my eyes. I go blind oh, for four no. hours. I'm walking around. People thought I was crying because I was emotional. I was like, it's not, these aren't tears of uh, of emotional distress. It's pain. I was, I, I try to rinse my eyes. I go, someone says I got eye drops. I put eye drops in. I Google it. They say the last thing you're supposed to do is put eye drops in. So uh, that's making it worse. I go to the pool and there's a lot of, there's been a lot of kids in the pool all day. There's a lot of grownups in the pool all day. They've been drinking. I know that's not the pool that I want to rinse my eyes out in. I did it. That's how desperate it got. I went <laughs> in the lake. I'm swimming. I'm rubbing my eyes. After four hours, I regained my sight. Mo we lost most of the day. But other than that, wouldn't change a thing. Complete successful weekend. Wait, I got a, I got a question about this. You, I got to hear more about your tanning regimen. You tan 20 minutes a day? I do. I do. It's it's because that since I, I moved to Charleston, I live at the beach. I've been known. Uh, people say I'm the palest guy they know. And I can't say I disagree. I'm also colorblind. So who's to say? But <laughs> I, I, I go to the backyard. I, I bring a book because I like to get a little reading in every day. I, uh, I put a little bug spray on because I do live in it's a tropical climate. And there's a lot of mosquitoes. And I bug spray, sun lotion, crank out 20 minutes a day. At least I try to. Um, once it gets a little, once I get a little sting, I walk away. I also always use 15, 15 SPF facial lotion every day. And I've been doing that for about 10 years because that's supposedly slows down the aging process. So that's a little pro tip also. 
don't know if you get into that. I know you're a little older than me, but but then again, you have great skin, Brian. People can't see this on a Zoom call. He has an incredible skin, and uh, you, you should be the one giving me notes, I feel like. Well, shout out to Point Fest and shout out to Austin Fail, who actually does the theme music for this song. So congratulations on another successful music festival for you, my man. Um, but yeah, so Major League Brady, I'm going to give you a chance here to make a little headline early in the pod here. Major League written and directed by David S. Ward. Same guy who won the Academy Award for writing uh, The Sting. The Sting, which is a better script. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not here to shock the world. I would say The Sting. The Sting is my guy. People go, a lot of people say Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid is the best meeting of Paul Newman and um, Robert Redford. I'm a Sting guy. I'm the only one that goes to bat for the Sting because I love a con man movie. But I do. I I was surprised when I looked up because I didn't I didn't realize that that was a connection between these movies. And I'm, that that's pretty impressive. Well, um, yeah, I uh, I got to tell you that uh, I've done a lot of research for this podcast, a lot of oral histories and 20th anniversary readings and things like that. And uh, Charlie Sheen would disagree with you, said that this was the best script he ever read. <laughs> <laughs> he said it was better than platoon yeah well you know <laughs> he, charlie was he 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 done wall street and platoon before this right i you know he he also lived a wild life i can't i can't i can't i can't argue against him that's his personal experience i mean this guy david ward also wrote king ralph which uh you know some people are really good about for and sleepless in seattle which Probably my favorite uh, Nora Ephron directed movie, I'd say. So he's got an impressive resume. All right. And uh, Brian, you just finished watching this before we got on the horn. I've got a theory that in all sports movies, the final Yankee game, that sequence is in the top two sport movie games of all time. And... I want to hear your theory on that. I've got it tied for first with the Miracle USSR game. Oh, yeah, that's good. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything better. I mean, what I really like about this movie and all of the sports sequences and the games that you see throughout is that it is realistic. Like you see very realistic scenarios. And what I think this movie does that's so impressive in that final scene is is Cleveland, they literally manufacture a run. It's you got Willie Mays Hayes, you get him on base with a high chopper, and then you got Jake Taylor bunting. Well, you got Willie Mays Hayes stealing second and then bunting, and then they get a run through that. And it's like the most exciting small ball scored run in the history of baseball. But it makes so much sense. Like, and it's actually, you know, I, I watch so many sports movies and you're like, like, that would never happen. Like, that was just silly. But this was like pretty much all the scenarios were great, other than just about everybody strikes out in three pitches. Other than that, um, I love that like, you didn't see a single ball in this movie, I don't think. But other than that, it's it's like very realistic. I mean well, wild thing before he gets his glasses, he throws a few balls. He yeah, there's a few balls. Um <laughs> I really want to break down that Jake Taylor play, that bunt. We'll have to 
circle back to that uh, later in the podcast. But do you guys well, want? I have a question for you guys, actually, because I feel like you. So, did you guys see this? The first time I ever watched this movie was only probably a year or two ago because I knew it was one of your favorite movies, John. So I don't know if did, did you guys see this when you were a kid? Has this movie always kind of been been present in your lives? Brian, you take this and then I'll kind of lead into why I chose this movie. Yeah, for me, this is like one of those family favorite movies, I would say. Like growing up, my my family, we would watch certain movies, rewatch several times. It was like Major League was in there. We'd watch it about once a year. My cousin Vinny certainly was in there. We'd watch that a lot. Happy Gilmore, a little bit in the mix too. And like, we kind of like just continue to watch those movies. So I, I've grown up with Major League for sure, um, watching it a lot. Yeah. And so I think that one of the reasons I chose this movie uh, and why it's so near and dear to my heart is because it's the Cleveland Indians. And uh, I grew up in a in a with a father who was very baseball obsessed and that was the sport that we watched the most. And he grew up in Cleveland. He was born the year after the Indians won their last world series. And he, now he's a Colorado Rockies fan, but the Rockies didn't come to existence until 1993. So he was an Indians fan all throughout that time. And this was his team. He didn't really care that much about the Cavs or the Browns. It was all about the Cleveland Indians and the heartbreak because they made the World Series again in 54, got swept, and then they were just bad. They had a couple guys, you know, come up. The curse of Rocky Colavito. They traded away one of their best players. I don't know if you guys know that I- iconic play in, in it was some all-star game in the seventies where Pete Rose just decided not to take it easy and mowed down the catcher. That was like some rookie all-star Indians catcher that was going to turn the franchise around. He got hurt, was never the same again. And so they're just, I I've grown up on stories of them just being a, a terrible franchise and a terrible team. And that's why I think the opening of this movie is so perfect also, because my dad was not fond of going back to Cleveland. We did not take a lot of family vacations back there. And I think that Cleveland is cleaned up a little bit, but this opening credit sequence where they're talking about the song on the banks of the Cuyahoga is playing. And it just looks like the most depressing town ever. There's literal like pigeons everywhere. There's smoke billowing out of buildings. People just look depressed on their way to work. And that's how he made Cleveland sound growing up. He's just like, it was terrible, had to escape. And so that's why I think this this movie's very near and dear to my heart. And and the writer we we referenced, he actually was born the same year as my dad the year after the Indians won their last World Series. And he wrote this movie because he said he needed to see the Indians win something in his lifetime. And he knew that the only way it would happen was on film. (laughs) That's That's so perfect. (laughs) But yeah, so do you guys want to get into some of the, there were a couple things that I, I noticed this time watching it that are a little stranger than fiction that I don't think that, uh, they could have predicted when they made this movie. So I have two things. One is we know they're no longer the Cleveland Indians. The team's now the the Cleveland Guardians, and they're named that for these 
uh, monolithic sculptures called the Guardians of Traffic. They're on the Henry Herring Bridge, which goes over the Cuyahoga. And interestingly enough, the movie opens with a shot of one of the statues. So that was a little foretelling. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, also, the owner wanted to move the team to Miami. At the time, there was no team in Miami. Eight years later, 1997, the Indians lose in Game 7 of the World Series to the Florida Marlins, based in Miami. <laughs> but do you guys want to get into some casting stuff, or do you want to go straight into more meat of the the plot because i stand by i think this is one of the most perfectly casted sports movies of all time yeah i, I have like go, go ahead i was gonna say i mean we can get into it like obviously it, it is one of the first sports movies i guess that had this idea of like you'd have a team but really the movie follows like six or seven guys in the clubhouse like it's a whole baseball team but you'd you only see the other guys in the background, right? So you've got your cast, and it's you know Wesley Snipes, Charlie Sheen, um, uh, all the all the you know the, the main characters there. My question that I had written down when I was watching, I was like, "Do you wish you had a bigger ensemble cast here? Do you wish there were a few more personalities in this movie, or do you think that there was enough?" You know, it's funny. I'm looking at so like my my initial reaction because I like looked at you know obviously it has that iconic great poster for the movie and thinking of the cast they have three guys in the cast on the poster tom uh, obviously tom berenger charlie sheen and then corbin bernson <laughs> and, the, and the catch line is when these three oddballs try to play baseball the result is totally screwball <laughs> and i want to know why corbin bernson who plays roger dorn like the the older guy who's rich or whatever on the team why he was the big name but that just shows you that wesley snipes was a no-name at the time right yeah. um but like even like but like i look up corbin burson he doesn't have like a career before this and he's not young <laughs> when they made this movie <laughs> but like but you had that weird thing too where charlie sheen and tom berenger are obviously in platoon together <laughs> and their chemistry and that is really good in a totally different way <laughs> and, but i but like i get what you're saying where like they only focused in on like seven people i feel like you can't really do more than that because even because like i almost wanted more time with wesley snipes and if you have more characters then i would have less time with the people i already have i feel like there's a there's a diminishing returns once you start expanding out past that point yeah i have to agree um i thought it was almost perfect the way they did it because honestly the guy who sees the most time is behringer is taylor and i kind of got sick of the jake taylor storyline where it's like you I could think have that had... Charlie Sheen would have more time, right? Like right. that's, that's would... what's so confusing. Or is it the romance that you're sick of? That's also what I'm sick of. You're right because Jake Taylor as a character is kind of hilarious. It wasn't until this rewatch, like you said, I watched it a lot as a kid with my family. Anytime, like I had a sleepover with some of my like buddies, we'd watch Major League stuff like that. I've seen this countless times, but this time, I re it really drove home that. The Jake Taylor Rene Russo romance is it, it, it do, I don't know. It needs to be there, but it doesn't need to be there. And also Jake Taylor is definitely a creep. Like <laughs> it yeah. doesn't hold up. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I, I like I like that there's a romance story. I like that Jake Taylor is kind of the lead. 
he's likable, but he is totally creepy in this. I mean, he's stalking her. These are things that just wouldn't fly in any real world scenario. Like you're not following somebody home. I mean, when he ends up in the the party at her fiance's house, he just like rides the elevator up to go like <laughs> go see where she lives, and she, he ends up in her in his place. Like I actually like I like the storyline. I just think the execution was was off. I I wish that they had written it maybe a little bit different where. He didn't have to stalk her to run into her. Like it actually starts out pretty smooth though when they're at the restaurant and he he does the phone call. And like, could you imagine being in a restaurant and the waitress comes up to you? Is like, there's a phone call for you at the front. You'd be like, what yeah. the hell is going on? You get up there and it's like your ex boyfriend like calling you, being all smooth. Like that was cool. And then ever like after that, it was all downhill for for Jake and, and his his attempts at getting back with Renee. I will say there's like that, another version where those scenes are all psychological thrillers, like that, like that scene where yes. he crashes the party. Like in, in any other movie, that's a psychological thriller where the ex shows up and, and hangs around. And I will say, and I don't think we need to go super linear with uh with this one, just because you know there's not a lot really to get to in in, in terms of plot. The two of my favorite moments, actually three, are Jake Taylor being creepy, but not what he's but like some different things that are happening in those scenes. So the, the dinner scene is incredible. Yeah. Just everybody that's listening to this has probably seen the movie. Jake Taylor takes out the rookies, Vaughn and Hayes to dinner at a fr French restaurant. Ricky Vaughn is wearing a leather vest and a tie and that's it. And he delivers <laughs> two incredible lines in this. And, and I got to say, like, I probably saw this movie the first time when I was like seven or eight. And every single time I've put on a tie, whether it be a wedding or a job thing, I literally put it on. Then I look at myself in the mirror and say, I look like a banker in this. I think that, <laughs> that was, so I think that might be the best line of the movie because it totally took me by surprise. <laughs> I look takes, like a banker. A for the joke to register. <laughs> and then Behringer Caesar and, and Vaughn goes, what's up with the chick? And he's like, that's my wife. And Willie Mays Hayes goes, does she know that? And then Charlie Sheen, who, <laughs> Charlie Sheen, who's incredible in this movie, goes, you want me to drag him outside, kick the shit out of him? And he kind of just looks at him and Behringer doesn't say anything, but he's like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> and falls down. And, and then to your point, Brian, I don't know what kind of place she was living in or, or the, the guy was living in. But the fact that you can take an elevator and you're in their living room, that's creepy. I don't know if that was an 80s thing, but that's very strange. But I, I love... that's a super wealthy thing. Like, you're, you're, it okay. goes straight to the penthouse. Kind He's of an thing. attorney. We know that. I love that moment when... He's explaining to these rich people what he does. He's like, you know, I'm a baseball player. And she's like... The, the woman says the Indians, you know, I didn't know they were still in town. And he's like, yeah, we got uniforms and everything. It's really great. <laughs> like, And then finally, when they're arguing about Moby Dick in the library, he goes, I'll check it out right now. Is this the whale section? <laughs> it's so good. Dude, the best part of the high class party, though, is still uh, like, don't baseball players make a lot of money? And he's like, yeah, the good ones do. And they're like, well, what do you make? He's like, I make the league minimum. Like that, that, that scene gets me every time too. 
Yeah. I think dare I say it, I, I almost, I don't know if I should withhold it or not. Um, the Al Pacino switcherino. Yeah. I, 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 I'll get ahead of it right now. I'll get ahead of it right now. So obviously I was, since we're talking about this scene, I was, my initial gut reaction is obviously I want to see Pacino. So this is what 89, right? So this 89. is, Pacino. yeah, he's been like kind of out of the mix for a little bit since Scarface in 85. He's coming back to do Seal Love, which is a great underrated erotic thriller with John Goodman. And so Pacino, but he's got the voice. He's got the voice that son of a woman will. So he's that era. So I, I, I was like, oh, I'd love to see Pacino as a wild thing. That would be kind of sick if him rolling out the mound. But then I'm like, no, let's be real about it. He could be the coach. I mean, you know, any given Sunday vibes. But I was like, I because I don't want him to take Behringer's spot. I think it has to be Behringer, right, as Jet, as Taylor. And I thought my dream casting for, for Pacino in this moment, because he's been out of the movies for a minute, you run him back as the new boyfriend and give him that, like, one scene moment where – because, like, I have – here's the thing that I have with a lot of romantic comedies till this day. They always have the other the, – the the new boyfriend that shows up whenever you have, like, they used to date. And it's always such a bozo that you're like, why does she date this guy? She can't be that cool if she's with a guy that stinks this much. Now, if you switch that guy out and just give the same exact lines to Pacino, I understand everything about why they're together. <laughs> Yeah. And I want to see Barringer and Pacino being like, so he's like, stay away from my woman, you know, all that. <laughs> like, I, dude, I mean, Brady, I couldn't have said it better myself. I That was my pick as well. And I was watching this movie and it, it had to be because I love the casting. I love every one of the ball players, And I just, you can't picture Pacino. I thought about for a minute having him be Lou Brown, the manager, but like you can't have him in a baseball uniform. You just can't. And so he <laughs> like that limits the options a lot. And he's a more formidable opponent to Jake Taylor trying to get his woman back. That's Al Pacino. Um, yeah. He's like, he's like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross vibes. Kind of he's wearing the suit, the slick, like three piece suits. He's like, you know, pouring him a beer, stuff like that. And I just think they're that little bit one. You, it makes her character make more Renee Russo's character make more sense. And you're also like, you're giving that Baldwin moment where like where you give a guy one scene and he just knocks it out of the park. I know Pacino also because he's been gone so long coming back hot 89 and he's, a, and he's not in the poster. You don't put him on the poster. Don't put him in the trailer. Shock the audience with that casting. I think it would, it would play numbers. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Brian, did you have a Pacino switcherino? No, not at all. Um, I, <laughs> this, this movie just is casted so well. And I mean, I think the obvious choice would be Lou Brown would fit for Pacino because, like, he's played the coach in any given Sunday and stuff like that. But it doesn't work for multiple reasons. One, Lou Brown is perfectly casted. He is incredible in this movie. And two, even one of his speeches, he's like, I'm not really into the the rah type of thing. It's like, I don't see Pacino doing that. Like, he is a, a hoorah kind of guy, you know? So, But it's funny you're mentioning the, the boyfriend because I'm like, well, Vincent Hanna Pacino as the boyfriend isn't going to work because he's going to be like, you don't watch my television. It's just, it's not going to work out at all. So it's going to be a different kind of Pacino performance than what we saw in Heat. Yeah. I mean, he's going to be, he's going to be, he's going to have to be Pacino at the diner with De Niro in Heat. 
not yeah. Pacino every other scene in Heat. <laughs> yeah. He's charming. Uh, He's a charmer. He 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 definitely has a level where he can put the charm on, and that's kind of usually my favorite spot of Pacino. Yeah. So I wanted to. You touched on Lou Brown, the manager, James Gammon. I don't know, like. I don't know if I've ever seen this guy in anything else. Um, in all the oral histories, all anyone can say is that this guy's a legend. That they would, um, well, actually, Corbin Burnson said that they he's never been on a cast this tight, that they were actually like a team. And they would go out to the bars every night. And this was filmed in Milwaukee because it was cheaper due to union issues. So it's actually Milwaukee Stadium, not, not um, in Cleveland. But they would go out every night in Milwaukee and Gammon would shut the bar down and then have everybody up to his hotel room to play poker. Charlie Sheen and this guy, not surprisingly, got along very, very well. And um, what did you guys think of the Lou Brown character? Because I thought he was the perfect baseball manager. Yeah, I think he is like he's one of the key things that works the best because there's like a weird it's almost like a naturalism to it where you like it helps that you can't really place him in any other movie because he like feels like this is the real deal. Even though I'm, I'm looking up his filmography, he's in two of my favorite movies, Cool Hand Luke and Making County Line. I don't know. Making County Line is like a, it's like a slept on like a little southern thriller, but Cool Hand Luke's obviously like a big hitter. And I don't know if he's just one of the guys in the background uh, handing the eggs over to be swallowed, but like <laughs> I, I, I'm going to be looking out for him. Um, in those movies because and he and he I mean he was all, he went all the way up to like natural born killers so he he had a career um but I think he yeah he was key and, and just any 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 line he has is money it's just deadpan delivery it plays I mean that voice I, I I'll say it right now I, I think that he should have been nominated for an academy award for this performance I mean it's per it's like literally perfection like it's so believable that he's a baseball manager he's got the look he walks the walk the the lines are incredible his voice is just like i mean i've never heard anything like it it's it sounds like he smoked three packs of cigarettes that that morning i love that it's written in that he's like working in a auto shop after he stopped coaching in the the uh like oklahoma warthogs or, or some team the toledo um, mud hens it's toledo Mudheads. yeah so good and that was like, and even that's like a perfect level because he's not excited about it. They're like, hey, one, he's like, ah, I got, I'm, I'm at work right now. <laughs> like, yeah, I got a guy on the other line that's asking about white walls. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> so good. That is so good. He's like, I don't know, Charlie. But okay. So, you know, we get the, the beginning of the movie is after the montage of how bad Cleveland is. We get the owner. And she is selling to the general manager and the rest of the people who is going to be at spring training. And then it's pretty much like they, they say, you know, these guys stink. And she has that little meeting with the GM where she's like, yes, the plan is to stink so bad. Attendance goes down so low that we get to Miami. And then I think that they, they do show the, the call to Brown to be the manager and the call to Jake Taylor, where he's got the sombrero on and he's hung over. Um, and so those two guys. Also, Ted Lasso, the first season of Ted Lasso stole this entire plot. Thank you. Yes. Ted, it stole it. It is not the same plot. Yes. It was stolen. But um, <laughs> so then we have that incredible, like, two-minute thing where we meet all the characters as they pull up to spring training. So we watch. 
really, really great scene. Jake Taylor wearing the jeans and the white blazer. You have in a Takate t shirt underneath the white blazer. Takate t shirt. You get um you get Serrano coming up and they, you know, he defected from Cuba for religious freedom. Oh, what's his religion? Voodoo. And he just walks by. Hayes comes up, pulls up all the way to the field and introduces himself. They are like, this guy's not on the roster. Immediately just whips out the handkerchief as he dives away. Dorn with the uh, the golf clubs. And, you know, I thought we didn't have any high-priced talent. I forgot about Dorn because he's just high-priced. And then my man, who I think goes on the, the Mount Rushmore of sports movie characters, Sheen. Ricky Vaughn shows up. He gets a ride on the back of a guy's motorcycle. His clothes are in a trash bag. And those are really, besides... Eddie Harris, who doesn't get a like a grand intro, and I love me some Eddie Harris in this movie. Um, those are really the, the guys that we're gonna be with for the next hour plus. Um, so I really think the way this works best is to just say that they stink early in the season, and there's some funny moments during spring training that we can touch on. But what's a character you guys want to dive into? Because I really want to talk about the casting and how well that actor did in that character. I think we just got, we should we kick off with Sheen wild thing. Let's kick I, it off with the wild thing. Cause I think like, he's so good that you're almost wondering why he isn't like, why, why Behringer is like clearly the lead and he gets, and I guess it's obviously the love story that takes over, but I'm like, Sheen, I feel like he's pretty big name at this point. He's been in some big, really big movies um and he's just like it's the haircut it's the earring that they do the great the great uh cutting of he's getting the phone call that he's getting called up and then they like pan out and he's and he's wearing like a prisoner's uniform and you're like oh this this is like that guy and i think he's like and obviously whenever him and Berenger are together they they have that chemistry which is great because their chemistry was the antithesis of that in platoon and i just like the idea that they got them together for this movie of all like you'd think this movie was made before platoon that like with the way like the energy of it is because I don't know. Charlie Sheen just feels so young almost too. I don't know. And yes, even though he'd been in Hollywood for a minute at that point. It's really interesting. Like you're automatically behind this, this Rick, Ricky Vaughn, even though he's coming from jail for stealing cars. And it's like, there's something like, so I don't know. It's like, he's like sensitive in a way. Like he, like he seems like a good dude and like you're behind him pretty quickly in this movie, which is kind of funny because he also is supposed to be this like badass. Um, And I think that that's kind of like how Sheen is, but the chemistry is amazing. We already talked about the restaurant scene with Wesley Snipes, Charlie Sheen and Berenger, the three of them, like, hanging out was like i want to be a part of this crew like something about those three like really clicked yeah Yeah, that's i think we if we should we we needed like two to three more scenes of just those three taking down the town or something every time that every time they're together it's amazing and so yeah like i said wild thing is on my mount rushmore of movie characters i i just love every part of him you know i open up the podcast with a quote every time and 
I went, you know, you don't want to go so aggressive so quick, but the speech he gives Lou Brown when he thinks he got cut is incredible. <laughs> when he says that he's going to, you know, every time he pitches against them, he's going to stick the ball up his ass and chop his nuts off and stick them down his throat. And then he throws the ball straight into his locker and dents it. It's just so incredible. The, the walkout to wild thing at the end. And I want to do the last scene. I do want to touch, just touch on the Yankee game. Um, So we'll get there, but just chills every time. And Sheen has said that that was the best moment of his life was walking out as they had 30,000 people going nuts. They paid 30,000 extras to be there. Um, He said this was the most fun he's ever had playing a character. This is something I'm sure all of you who are listening know because it's been so widely reported that Charlie Sheen did play high school and, and, you know, a little bit of tried to get picked up by professionals and was throwing around 79 miles an hour. He took steroids for this role to get his fastball up to 87. And then they wanted to make it even more believable so when those scenes where he's throwing and you're behind Jake Taylor, the catcher, he's throwing from 50 feet instead of 60 feet, six inches. So that ball's coming in on Taylor at like 99 miles an hour. It's pretty accurate. And so I just think he's amazing. Like I said earlier, the banker line is so killer. And then the other line for me that I really love is when he finds out he's not pitching the wild card game, and Roger Dorn's wife comes up and she comes onto him and immediately just goes, check. <laughs> I like, I love that line as well. I love my favorite. I think honestly, my favorite Ricky Vaughn moment, like this time when I watched it, the hardest I laughed is when he shows up to spring training and he goes out on the field. He's not wearing a ball cap and he has no sleeves. <laughs> One of the managers is like, we wear sleeves and ball caps in this league, Ricky. Like, it's so good, man. It, you remember, uh, I think Chris Sale, like four or five years ago, he got like suspended because he, they had to wear these like retro jerseys. And I guess <laughs> yeah. these were like constructed, constricting his arms a little bit. So he cut the sleeves off in between innings and he got like suspended for it. <laughs> yeah. The MLBPA is not standing for that. My last thing on Ricky Vaughn, though, did you guys know? And this is through the research, he invented the closer, the closer walkout song. The, yeah. the wild thing scene, the closers didn't have their own music before the wild thing scene. And, you know, Mitch Williams, who real life Charlie Sheen, not a fan of Mitch Williams because he literally changed his number to 99, gave himself the nickname wild thing and came out to wild thing as the closer of the Cubs, then the Phillies never, never gave credit to Sheen. Uh, that started closer music. And now it's like one of the most electric things in sports when your team's up one run or something in the ninth and everybody's looking at the bullpen and the music hits and it's just, it's always so awesome. So shout out to Sheen and uh, Major League for that. In a weird way, this movie was like, it innovated baseball. <laughs> like, I'm not kidding when I say like Charlie, the general manager, like don't tell me Billy Bean didn't get some ideas from him. Like this is the original Moneyball before Moneyball happened. The way that they built this team was like, you got Willie Mays Hayes, like get the ball on the ground, get to the base, like small ball kind of like 
just amazing. That's the same kind of approach Moneyball had where it's, you know, you focus on guys that are really good at a certain skill. I'm like, yeah. I'm sitting there like, this is like the best GM ever. And I feel like Billy Bean must have been inspired by this movie. Right. And like in the modern game, batting average doesn't really matter anymore. It's about, you know, you're, you're slugging and, and can you hit dingers? And so that takes me to our next guy, strikeout king, Pedro Serrano. But he also <laughs> probably had like 40 home runs. And oh, by the way, I've got um, comparisons because, as I said, the Indians stunk in real life. And then in 1995, they did make the World Series. They got really good throughout the 90s. And so my Wild Thing Vaughn comparison would be Jose Mesa. Closer, a little unhinged, throws heat. And then we've got Serrano. My comparison is... A little bit of a wonky dude who hits big home runs. That's my guy, Albert Bell, from the actual Cleveland Indians. But, Brady, take us uh, take us through the actor, uh, Serrano, and in and, and, and his uh, his life after this film. Let me get his name, the, the, pro, the, the proper names, because <laughs> I only know him. Dennis Haysbert. Dennis Haysbert. Sorry, I was saying, like, yeah, my my the first since I didn't see my, Major League as a kid, my first introduction of De- to Dennis ha- Dennis Haysbert was definitely as the president on Twenty Four. That was and this keep keep in mind back in the day. This is before DVR. Everybody, the whole family had to gather around the TV, watched it live, and it was and it was and he he was a big deal. He was the president, and I feel like he's done one other thing that I I've really noticed him in. The Allstate commercials. He's the voice of Allstate. And I feel like those are the only two things I've really clocked him in. Maybe he's done other stuff. Maybe I'm not giving him enough credit. But those are also big things because I feel like I was actually uh, thinking about like pitch people like that. He's got to have one of the most famous voices in America at this point because he's oh, been yeah. doing it for like 10 years at least, right? Oh, yeah. And I mean, this is interesting because the last two movies that were my choice were this and Whiplash. So Power rank these two as insurance salesmen, Pedro Serrano and Fletcher from Whiplash. Dude, we're on the same wavelength because I was literally about to ask that same question. I go, <laughs> I go Serrano, man. I think Dennis Haysbert kills it. I mean, J.K. Simmons is amazing for farmers, but I, I just Serrano. Like when I think of insurance, both of these guys are better than Jake from State Farm. I'm sorry, Jake. Oh, yeah. And I feel bad now. I'm looking at Dennis Haysbert. He's in one of my favorite movies. He's in. He's he's the chef, the the cook in Heat, who has that great scene where he quits his job oh, yeah. so he can join the heist. Oh, so, like, it's iconic. It's so iconic. And then Hell yeah, Far from Heaven is yeah. Far from Heaven is a great uh, a great like uh, movie with Julianne Moore. But yeah, I mean, being in Heat, he he had a moment. But I mean, it is crazy. Like when you look at people like that, and you're like, he is an icon of insur- of the insurance industry. <laughs> <laughs> So one thing that I thought throughout this entire cast was they all sort of, you felt like they could be ball players. And going back to Sheen, he had like the weird twitches when he was on the mound, like shaking his shoulders a little bit and, you know, like stuff he would do with his glove. That was a relief, a, a believable relief type pitcher thing. And then Haysbert as Serrano, really, he, he's got that build. He looks great in the uniform. He's jacked. And so they did put these guys through spring training. Um, but you got to be natural. You can't just show up, do a couple of weeks of training. I feel like 
No, Haysburg's got a swing. Will we agree that he has the best swing? He's yeah, he's got the best swing by far. And that home run he hits in the Yankees game, he actually hit the ball out of the park. He hit that ball out of Milwaukee County Stadium and the crowd went nuts. And that's why he grabbed the bat. And that's such a moment when he's carrying the bat around the bases. Just shout out to him and shout out to Joe Boo. It's it's impressive, man. Like, I don't think people realize how hard it is to hit a ball out of the park. Like, even just batting practice balls, just nice and easy ones. It's very difficult. You've got to be very, very strong to do it. I mean, that that is a feat. Um, I'd say that. Maybe more impressive than Charlie Sheen throwing it over 80. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I'm like, so I'm, I'm trying to see if Hayes Burt, I was, I'm looking up his little history right here to see if he played any like college ball or something. Turned down um, an athletic scholarship because he wanted to focus on the acting, which is sick. And in a crazier stat, he's been doing the Allstate commercials since 2003 for over two decades. Wait, <laughs> no what? wonder he's so iconic. That's what insane. sport? What <laughs> sport did he turn down the scholarship for? Does it say? Didn't say, doesn't say, just said he turned out an athletic scholarship. He was six foot five, went to San Mateo High School, and was offered athletic athletic scholarships. Oh, what instead chose the American, yeah, the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. All right. And then there, here's a guy who's like little talked about that I do, we need to touch on. And he's a little bit of the thorn in Serrano's side the entire time. And that's my guy, Eddie Harris, the <laughs> pitcher. And this is definitely. David Nagy from the Indians like a couple years later in real life but the old guy who he's like literally so old he's got gray hair and he's got all the different stuff and this is another iconic sheen moment when they're in spring training and he's like what's that shit on your chest and he's like Vaseline and then he talks about all the other stuff he's like Vagisil KY jelly and then he gives him the whole if the ums watching me real closely, I'll put a little jalapeno up my nose. And Sheen just goes, you put snot on the ball. I just love his delivery there. But I love the idea of having the crafty pitcher who has nothing left. Absolutely nothing in the tank. But he's going to find you a way to get, I mean, at the halfway point in the season, Bob Uecker says he's got nine wins. So, yeah. like, he probably won like 16 games and started the wild card game for them. Like, I mean, the thing is, it's, it's, it's realistic. You see guys kind of reinvent their, their repertoire and their pitches a little bit as they get older and they just get more savvy. Like I remember like, for example, like Tom Glavin and his later years for the Mets, he wasn't throwing it very fast, but he, he had like almost a Cy Young and winning, winning type of season for the Mets until he imploded at the end. I, I won't forget uh, and then also guys like, if you remember Jamie Moyer, that guy was pitching until he was like 43 and he had, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not gonna look up the stats right now, but like he had a ton of wins that final season that he was pitching. And I just think it's, it's amazing when you see these guys, they're just crafty. They hit their locations and then maybe they're, they're using a little Vaseline or something, uh, to, to help with some zip on the ball or some extra curve, but it's really well written. I really like that. Well, it's funny too. Cause like, for instance, so coming from someone like me who hadn't seen it, and I can see that the influence this movie had, even on like uh, like rookie of the year kids movie, you have Marv from Home Alone plays a plays like the guy he's he's do he literally does the scene. He's like, oh, you got to do this this and that, and all he's giving them all the tips on how to like get the edge like icy hot, so that I, you know all that kind of thing. 
And like, I feel like there's a, but there's a bunch of stuff like that, like details of like a certain character type that is in every baseball movie or even like sports movies, like the old dog, you know, you know, stuff like that. Oh yeah. Uh, Go ahead. I was going to say between the, the late eighties and to the nineties, the amount of baseball movies that came out that were like good is astounding. I mean, I don't know, John, if you were planning to talk about this, but like just off the top of my head, like angels in the outfield, you mentioned rookie of the year. You had like the natural, you had field of dreams. Bull Durham. You had Bull Durham. You had Eight major. Yeah. I mean, their own. An absolute renaissance. Uh, like there were three to four good baseball movies coming out a year. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's it end with hardball or fever pitch. Oh, both great <laughs> movies as well. But that, you're right. That's kind of the end of the end of an era when we're getting there. Yeah. Um, you know so- what I think the difference is? If I have to say the end of like, we knew that the baseball era of movie was over was when everybody wants some, you know, a link later movie about a college baseball team. Yeah. When that wasn't a hit, that's when we knew that they weren't going to keep on giving us great movies. Because that's a really, I think that's a solid movie. But like since then, I mean, Moneyball, obviously, I feel like that's the last real big baseball movie we've had. Oh, yeah. But Jump like, the curve was not that bad. I'll, I'll go to bat for that movie. I think, I mean, we're still always going to get I know John's big trouble with the curve guy. Trouble with the curve. <laughs> Loki, kind of, kind of decent. Uh, <laughs> like, kind of decent. But, okay, so when it was like, the last, what would you say the last great baseball movie was? Like, great money, baseball. Moneyball. Moneyball, yeah. You think Moneyball is like. It's great. Yeah. It deserves to, it deserves that distinction. I thought you were going to hit us with basketball. Um, that was that was pretty funny. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, as I said, like he's got all the goofy stuff. And one of the one of the characters I want to touch on, Harris plays off him a little bit, where he'll throw a pitch and it'll get grounded to short. And Bob Euchre, who who plays um, uh, Harry Doyle, the announcer will be like, "Oh, that's a Vagisil ball down to De Dorn at third or something like that." Could you have done better than Bob Euchre in this? No. Like, oh if God. I had to debate who is the better casting, the manager or Bob Euchre, it's it's really tough. Like, they're both so perfect in this. I think I might give the edge to Euchre. Because, like, every every time he gets it, gets a shot to to step up to the mic, you're loving it. And like, just, like, little bits with, like, the, the, the whiskey bottle. And, like, it's... Oh, yeah. Or when he like curries, like you can't say goddamn on the air, and he says nobody's listening anyways. <laughs> yeah, like, it's so good, John. <laughs> I, I, John, you're a big baseball fan. I'm, have you actually heard him call a game? I think he does radio for the for the Brewers. He does. He actually does radio for the Brewers. He's a light version of this. He's colorful, but yeah. they basically told him, "Here's what's going on." AKA the Indians stink make it funny and he went off and then they were like later in the movie the indians are good you know and he basically ad-libbed all his lines and which i think is incredible for a non-actor um he was inducted to the baseball hall of fame a couple years ago uh he was a catcher for the twins for like three years and he hit like two 200 180 like he got up there and he basically was Harry Doyle at his induction speech where, you know, he starts off with like, 
I can't believe I didn't get in here for my playing days, you know, like stuff like that. He just like, he's a beloved figure in baseball. I thought the perfect foil was the color guy who never said anything. (laughs) (laughs) And then it pays off like a slot machine when he takes his, when he takes the ship to sip of whiskey himself. (laughs) Yeah. The other other line that always gets me is like, uh, Euchert's like setting up, setting the stage for the, the pennant game. And he's like, you know, sell out crowd, getting everybody all excited. And then he asked the color guy, like, what are your thoughts? And he's like, hmm. it doesn't say anything. He's like, well, <laughs> folks, he's not the best color commentator in the league for nothing. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like, there's there's something about, I love that he's the hometown announcer. He's doing, I believe it's radio for every game, 162. And that's a grind and you're trying so hard to keep the fans interested in this team. And he does it so well when like, obviously this has been the most bit line from the entire movie where like Vaughn throws that thing basically into the other team's dugout. And he's like, just a bit outside. But like, he does the, I can't believe they're laying off pitches this close or like the very (laughs) first at bat of the season. Hayes does the check swing where he barely touches it. And he's like a hot shot down the line and just like (laughs) embellishes everything because he knows no one's watching. They can only listen to him. That's perfect. But okay. So we go into the Hayes hot shot down the line. Wesley Snipes. I was, I was hoping we were, we were about to get to him. He plays like Hayes and he runs like, or he plays like Mays and he runs like Hayes. I think so. I have a question That's for what you. Lou Brown says, but yeah, yeah. To just kick off our our, our snipes conversation. Also, I, I was looking at more baseball movies, and I we 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 would be reticent if we didn't mention Mister Three Thousand. But moving on from that, there's another baseball movie that Wesley Snipes is in, The Fan. Which performance oh. do you prefer? Oh. <laughs> Willie Mays Hayes or Wesley Snipes in The Fan as? Dude, that oh movie, my god! That he plays Bobby bad. Rayburn. Bobby Rayburn. <laughs> you know what's amazing about Snipes, John? I I, I feel like I keep stealing your thunder because I, I I know some of the stuff about the movie. Go for it. Go for it. But he apparently he's not like a great athlete. Like, and if you pay attention to the to major league, like even the scene in spring training when he gets out of bed and he's running, they have to put it in slow mode and make it seem like he's faster. And those but, guys are huffing. Those guys are clearly like performatively yeah. being like, yeah, they found They're like great that. acting and slow running, I guess, because apparently he's not very fast. And then the other thing is he couldn't really throw a baseball very well. So if you pay attention, he never throws a ball back after he makes a catch in the outfield, which he makes several. It's always it always ends the inning. So it's always. always yeah, because you don't see him throw because apparently he wasn't very good at throwing. So I feel for Snipes, but it's amazing he gets casted as an athlete in so many movies. I mean, white men can't jump. You've got uh, he can play and Batman can't jump though, can he? I feel like we definitely no. see him. They had to teach him how to play. It's all Woody because Woody's definitely has has the riz. You're saying no, that well, Snipes Woody can ball? Yeah, Woody can ball. Apparently, Snipes they he struggled with basketball too. They had to shoot around they it. Threw a lot of alley oops. Um, I guess he's just like, he's like a vampire in Blade. I guess that's just you know maybe they. I don't. mean, I'm like uh, he's obviously in the in the sequel to The Fugitive, um, U.S. Marshals and New Jack City. He's king of new york but like he's great in king of new york yeah i feel like he's a guy that's been a little bit underrated i know he had some like uh legal troubles for a little bit went away i think it was like tax related um 
came back recently with uh, Dolomite is my name, which he was again great in. I don't, <laughs> I'm not yeah. entirely sure. Maybe he had worse legal troubles. I don't know. I'm not going to look into it too much right now. <laughs> but, but if he did something worse, apologies. If he did something not as bad, again, apologies. Um, but I feel like you can just tell when he's on screen, you're like, this is a movie star. The moment he first shows up, you're like, this guy has the charisma for days. There are so many scenes where they're at the French restaurant and he drinks the champagne and he swishes it around in his mouth. That's so good. Yeah. There's the the spring training where he tries to steal the base and he ends up like three feet short and he just flicks the guy off. Uh, yeah. There's the like, I'm about to take my first step towards the Hall of Fame, like that whole thing that like he's got so many great lines. But the, the best one is by far the MasterCard commercial don't steal home without it yeah like i don't know willie may say shout out like and he obviously he sets up lou brown for one of his best lines in the very first you know opening day first inning does a basket catch willie may style and <laughs> lou brown welcomes in the dugout he's like great catch hayes don't ever fucking do it again <laughs> it's just so good you can so, tell like, oh good What's the guy's name that wrote this again? I keep forgetting. David S. Ward. David yeah. S. Ward. Dude, he's definitely like a big sports fan. Like he knows what he's doing throughout this. I mean, there's so many small details like that. I feel like you have to be a, like a sports fan to know and like write out. Like just the fact that he didn't get invited to spring training and this guy just shows up is like brilliant. I mean, it, it it's it's that's just hilarious to me. And then like even the small things like him pinning the the gloves on the wall for every stolen base. I'm like, that's a great idea. I remember watching that as a kid thinking like, can I do that in one of my sports? Like, you know, like put up a hockey puck every time I score or something. Like, I just thought that was so cool. Yeah, I never had that uh, issue. Uh, I didn't have those opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I wasn't stealing any bases either. Um, well, what position did you play for the people that, so the people can know what you, you played some baseball in high school? What was your uh, what was your spot? Uh, pitched nothing like the wild thing. I was more like a Eddie Harris, crafty, and uh, <laughs> middle infield, but nothing like Roger Dorn. I would get in front of the ball. So let's talk about Raj. Yes. I know Dower, this is your guy. <laughs> oh come on the fact that he made the movie poster just blows my mind and i love it <laughs> you know it makes so much sense for his character because like in, in in the major league world he definitely would have been like i gotta be on the poster so brian did you, did you know that production asked everybody can you play baseball and i guess burns was uh or what that's his name right corbin burns yeah he was corbin burnson Burnson was filming LA Law and couldn't make like the actual tryouts where basically it was just them like throwing baseballs and he's like trust me I can play like he just like he is Roger Dorn and it's just this guy's so good throughout the movie where he's like hey skip you know like look at my contract says no unnecessary calisthenics uh you know, when they finally turn it around and get good, which I, there I need to circle back to this. There's a very unrealistic baseball timeline that's happening in this movie, but they just keep hitting ground balls at him and he's just taking them off the chest. I'm like, why can't you just feel them with the glove? Like yeah. one time <laughs> I, I love Roger Dorn. I love the fact that he hits three 
I don't know if you guys knew this, but the, the batting order is Hayes, Taylor, Dorn, Serrano, that no one really knows. But <laughs> so the fact that you got the, the three-hole Roger Dorn washed up third baseman that's just there to hit 271 with 86 RBIs, like, I don't know. I love him. Yeah, no, he's great. Again, just like such a well-thought-out baseball character you know one of my favorite lines is actually what jake says to him when he's like i remember when you were a baseball player dorn he's like now if you just want to be like an interior designer just like what he says that it's so good yeah and uh dorn and um eris always have that little religious rift where like obviously serrano has a different religion thing going on harris is all about the christianity and um and Dorn just doesn't care about anything. And Harris asks on opening day, if he can lead the team in some prayer. And Dorn just gets up and says, I'll be in my office and wipes the newspaper <laughs> behind his butt. It's just an all-time moment. It's kind of sweet. Like when he when they when they roll up to his house, because at first you're not sure what he's doing. And then because he because he obviously, you know, Charlie Sheen's like, oh, he's he's blown on purpose. And and at, like have, having not like watched a lot, like, like, oh, is it gonna be a reveal that it's like he's been blowing games and like cause he has money problems? And then when then it, it, the reveal is, oh no, he doesn't want to hurt his moneymaker's face. That's like his actual motivation is just vanity. And I was like, okay, I actually like that instead of something more like nefarious. Yeah. Even you, Dorn. <laughs> yes that's an amazing line and so then we gotta tap it off right there with with uh the guy who calls dorn finally jake taylor i don't think there's ever been a better i gotta cut myself off there i was going to say there's never been a better cast catcher in a movie and obviously there has with crash davis as you know kevin costner's crash davis is better but Behringer really holds his own here as that guy the glue guy the gritty old catcher who's so sunburnt he spent so much time in the sun his knees stink like the Egan barely walk but he's still getting throws off and the guy who's just going to bring this team together I love Jake Taylor as, as a not as a character but as a ball player I think that the reason Behringer is like a perfect casting for it is that he's not like, obviously he was a movie star, but he's not, you know, an Al Pacino or a, like a Tom Cruise, right? He's like, like a little, he's less than a big, big shot. He's been in some great movies. He's given some great performances, but he almost feels like he's kind of the actor that missed his moment to some extent, didn't capitalize on it. And he's playing that character. So it's like, he looks the part. He has the energy of the part. He is the glue guy. But like, if you had somebody that was like like a Robert De Niro, you don't buy it as much. You don't buy that guy is down on his luck. This guy, you believe Behringer through and through is down on his luck, and he does have that. And it surprises me because I mean, I'm I'm mostly used to him from Platoon because that's the movie I've seen so many times, and like that's a different energy. And it shows that he totally has range because he's very likable in Platoon. He is a very hateable guy, and this movie. He wanted you want to you want to get a beer with this guy. You want to hang out with this guy, cut loose. You want you want to be with him, Charlie Sheen and Wesley Snipes at the at the fancy restaurant, just cutting up. You know. Well, two things you hit on there that I'd like to touch on was first off, yeah, he's down on his luck, but in that scene, the extremely awkward dinner party scene, 
Rene Russo makes the point of saying he was at once one of the best players in the MLB, or at least one of the best catchers in the MLB. So he definitely blew some money when he was playing in the Mexican league. Cause you got to save a little bit better than that. He's literally living with a rookie. He's living with the wild thing. And so sick. When you see that they're living together, that reveal later on, it's just so I'm like, man, I wish I like those two roommates would be so amazing. I assume that was a hotel. I didn't realize that was their house. Are you talking about when, when he walks in on him with his wife? Because they get a beer full, like a fridge full of beer. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. I thought it was like, oh, I literally thought the scene was shot weird. I was like, that's a weirdly shaped hotel. I thought it was a vending machine that had like a weird, <laughs> it was like an 80s vending machine or something. Yeah, man. That was a home game. He's just living it up with the wild thing. That's yeah. wild. <laughs> and then, yeah, it, that, I mean, that goes back to my other point was him and Sheen, their combative energy in Platoon. And then he literally lives with him in this movie as like the guy who's going to take him under his wing. It's, it's, it's so funny. It's so perfect. He has every baseball movie really has to romanticize baseball in a way that is a little bit over the top at times, but always so good. And it's before opening day when, when he's out there by himself again in the white blazer and jeans and he hits the fake home run and everybody's like kind of making fun of him just great character he's the captain man he's like he's the leader of the team and you you believe it and it's he doesn't do a ton but it's like just small things you're like what a great captain like when joe boo wanted a live chicken he gets some kfc the bucket of kfc like it's it's kind of funny i don't know yeah and so that's like a he little bit work for the team i think that he kind of has the the ultimate line in the movie because the Indians are actually playing decent baseball. They're not playing great, but they're playing decent baseball. They're 16 60. They're on the road at Yankee stadium. They lose 16 61. The general manager comes in and Lou Brown says like, I really think we have something here, you know, like give these guys a couple years, you know, we got something. And the guy gives the big reveal to him. It's never going to happen. He comes in, tells the team. Everybody looks devastated because they know if they lose, they lose. If they win enough to stick around, they're all getting shipped off for worse players. Then Jake Taylor stands up and says, I guess there's only one thing left to do. Win the whole fucking thing. And that gives me goosebumps every time. And then we get the big montage of them making a run. They're stripping the, the things off the owner as, as the run goes. Leading up to the hotel scene where Roger Dorn is caught on the local news <laughs> taking a woman who is not his wife back. That leads to the woman who is his wife finding the wild thing. <laughs> and that entire thing processing the day of the wild card game into the Yankees game. Do you guys have I also any- just want to say like a lost art, which I think that like, I feel like it's coming back a little bit because it went out of vogue. Anytime there's a montage in a movie set to music like this, I love it. Uh, and music. when they did it, like and they do it a few times in this movie, because like, it's just, it's just, it's a great 
tool to use that like not like it's a filmmaker's tool that they take out of the toolbox a lot of, i think it went out of vogue but like you get a lot of things understood in a short period of time and i like the music in this movie it's like very dated in a way i like um, oh it's like, like do 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 yeah like the rom- i really like the romantic uh music they play like whenever like yeah i really like that dude it's beautiful yeah i was in yeah i was literally listening to it today i was like looking it up on on spotify to see what i could listen to because i I, it's beautiful the end we've had this journey with this team and we culminate with the yankee game to get into the world series and you see twice in this how far the team has come where harris who was hating on the the voodoo nonsense earlier is warming up with Joe Boo in the bullpen. Joe Boo's literally on the the rubber with him in the bullpen. I love that. And then um, Dorn lets Serrano put the head cover on his bat later in the game. But I just love this. There's nothing like we just talked about the music. It's like boom, 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 boom. And it shows the overhead shot of the stadium coming down. The place is packed, you know, I don't know. I actually have a moment that I feel like we really major thing we skipped over. Obviously, we touched on the hair corner of Charlie Sheen because he's doing something. He, anyone else, you'd look like a fool with that haircut. He's the only person in history. I'm sure there was imitators at that point, like in Cleveland after this movie came out, that were really going for it and just didn't play. But Behringer's hair in this, I'm real into it. And I like that it changes. Like if he's going, like when he does that, (laughs) does this like. Psychopath move of trashing that dinner party. He's got the gel in. He like he, that's his fancy hair. <laughs> and then because we also even touched touch on the fashion. There's a lot going on fashion wise. Because I like that like the coolest thing about Behringer when he shows up to that dinner party is like his formal wear is a light wash jeans with tucked into a shirt like that '90s shirt without collars, and then like a cool powder blue jacket if I recall correctly. Um, <laughs> I think it plays. But I do, I just feel like I needed to give a shout out to the hair, to the hair corner, because everybody, I feel like, like Snipes obviously has a, the great flat top. I feel like there's a lot of great uh, hair that we didn't comment on. Um, and oh. Renee Russo, I think she's, she's got some money here in this. I like her. I like what she's got going to. I can't, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it. Dorn's got a, he's pulling off a nice classic look too. Our guy. I was going to say, Dorn, oh, yeah. Dorn's golden locks, but. It, it before opening day, Serrano is literally like shaving with a machete. So he's got the straight <laughs> yeah. shave going. And Good. then <laughs> this is just another little inside baseball, no pun intended. Uh, Ricky Vaughn had the lightning bolts in the back. Charlie Sheen hated that because he said it didn't play with the girls in the bars in Milwaukee. <laughs> I mean, I could see it. It really only works if he's if you know if he's got the dangly earring you need the whole ensemble if you if if one of those things is missing it doesn't work yeah it said then back to back to the final game i just had yeah no no i was like i don't want us to run out without me being able to touch on his his hair you mentioned the fashion so i gotta say one more thing um one thing i love is when they pan to the the crowd the cleveland fans in the bars like cheering them on like all the dudes are wearing their construction helmets I don't know why, but I love that so much. Like, they didn't take their construction helmets off to go to the bar. So good. (laughs) And yeah, and so they packed the house. Literally the owner's worst nightmare. For the biggest game of the year, Eddie Harris gets the ball, and we've got like a 7-0 game, or a 0-0 game through 7. 
if I if I'm correct. And then uh Harris gives up a two run dinger, right? And then yep. two outs, you gotta know that it was Hayes and Taylor that made the outs. Dorn comes up to bat and Raj Dorn works in that bat and slaps that thing through the hole and just starts the rally where here comes Serrano. They give him two breaking balls with with he has that moment where he looks at the bat. Joe boo. I come to you in my time of need. I stick up for you. You know, help me right now. I say, fuck you, Joe boo. I do this myself. And it hits the ball 545 feet, perhaps, to tie the ball game. What a moment. Yeah. I think it's electric. I lo- And I do love that you, you made a good point to say a big gripe I have with a lot of like modern day movies, because now that the, now that they can animate a crowd, you can always, it, you can always tell. It doesn't it, when it, either the lighting's really low, but like in this movie, you can tell that's a real crowd. And yeah. there's just and you can't and it can't be replicated. It doesn't matter. Like some movies do it better than others when it, when they're faking it. But you always, even if you don't notice, in this movie, it just elevates everything because you can just like you said, Charlie Sheen's like that was the greatest moment of my life. You can tell. You can feel that on the screen when it's happening. Right. And so let's get to that. It's the ninth inning where the Yankees get a single, a double, and a walk off Harris, who. Poor Eddie Harris. They were running this guy's arm into the ground. Like, I don't know exactly what Lou Brown's strategy as a manager was. He certainly was not all about pitcher health because his guys were just getting extended late in the game all the time. But he goes out there, give me Vaughn. And Jake Taylor's like, what do you mean? He's like, I got a hunch. Brian, do you know about Clue Haywood? Yeah, I, I guess he was he was a pitcher for for what team? Uh the Brewers. He's oh, okay. a Cy Young winning pitcher for the Brewers, who became fat Clue Haywood with the incredible mutton chops and it's amazing that he was a pitcher. Exactly. It's just well, he, he gained a lot of weight after his playing days. Yeah. When, but, when he sneezes, apparently it looks like a party favor too. I can't I can't even talk about it without getting chills. The door opens in the the bullpen and he walks out. You know, he doesn't start the jog yet. He just walks out. Wild thing starts going. Everyone in Cleveland just starts going crazy. This is a tie game. Bases loaded, two outs in the ninth. Like I would be silent. Like my breath would be in my it like it'd be so far down. They're going nuts for Ricky Vaughn. They're uh, just allowed to be uh, thousands of women on the Yankees dugout jumping up and down. Just wild thing signs everywhere. Shake it, shake it. The iconic owner, I hate this fucking song line, (laughs) just plays every time. And Jake Taylor gives him the, I'll let you guys touch on the Roger Dorn thing after this, but Jake Taylor gives him the, this is the out you've been waiting your whole life for and just goes back to the dugout. And then Dorn comes in. What did you guys think of Dorn's little entrance? Brady, especially you hadn't seen this until you were older. What did you think was going to happen? I think it was because 
So, and and it's like a common thing, right? You have uh, in a movie near the end, you have this thing, you you plant the seed that something's going to ruin it for everybody. So while you're watching it, you're like, what's good? Like it's in the back of your mind always because you know that could be a factor, but you don't want to see this team lose. So like if he ruins it and, but like at the same time, I think they thread the needle perfectly because it doesn't want to feel like a cheat. Like it was a fake out. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like clearly he's upset. Like if he just gets a free pass, like, like, like it does, it's perfect because he hits him in the face later well, yeah. because and- he goes up and, and says like, you know, you, you go ahead you get like, let's end this game here. That like, cause in that moment you're like, hell yeah. But also like maybe after the movie, it wouldn't sit as well, but because you get that punch, you're like, all right, they're square. I, I, I like it. It was a little screenwriting trick they threw in there and it paid off. I think they did. I think they did it. They threaded the needle in a way that could have been, Kind of like a wonky way to put it in the movie, but it worked. Three pitch strikeout. Good night, Jim Kite. Now we're going to the bottom of the ninth. Chance to win the game. I love how they just started off with there's one out all of a sudden. And then the nine hole hitter hits it to the right field wall. Hot. And then Hayes. Brian, take us through the next two at bats. I know. I'm sorry. I feel like I jumped the gun on you. Um, no, 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 no. About the scene, so, but yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's like I said, it's so realistic. Willie Mays Hayes hits a high chopper, which if you're fast, you can get to first base. He gets to first base on the high chopper. Makes makes a lot of sense. And then it's like, all right, two outs. We got the best base dealer in the game. So he's going to go steal second. Um, and then we got Jake Taylor. And the first pitch, he doesn't point. The first pitch is just a strike. Willie Mays Hayes takes a big lead, as Bob Euchre says, and he gets to second base. It's a close call, but he gets there. And then once he gets to second, our guy, Jake Taylor, points. He does the point, the Babe Ruth, and he says this ball's going out of the park, which we'll discuss after. I guess we could recap the scene, but um, yeah, yeah, I think – what I think works really well here is, okay, if I'm a pitcher in that situation, I'm throwing the ball at his head. And that's exactly what happens here. He, he gets the ball thrown at him. And then uh, Taylor gets a – he points again after he gets up, and then he bunts it down the line, um, down the third baseline. And the third baseman was backed up because they thought that Jake Taylor was going to take the ball deep. Um, they weren't expecting the bunt. Jake Taylor pretty much blows his whole knees out running to first. He's safe. Our guy, Willie Mays, Hayes rounds the bases because he's like the fastest player in the world and gets home on the bunt as well. And I mean, it's just amazing. Like I said, it's small ball. There's no home run here. It's like a guy. A lesser movie would end it in a home run. Yes. There's a there's a, a high chopper to get to first. There's a stolen base. And then there's a bunt. And it's it's so exciting and it's so fun to watch. Right. Um, it's just so good. They score the winning run without hitting the ball out of the infield. And realistic, like you said about the the point. I'm not getting into that. Let's get into it. Let's get into what are your thoughts on the point? No, it's a it's a it's a demon story from my childhood. Um, When I was no, somebody pointed on you. So (laughs) I'm I'm gonna cut I'm gonna cut this part anyway. So I'll I'll actually name names. I'll drop names. when I was coming back from my first shoulder tear, uh, 
Well, well tell me, why, why, why wouldn't you put this in the pod? I know, this sounds amazing. Just yeah, wow, yeah, this is the stuff, this the is the stuff people want to hear, no, yeah. Redact the names. Okay, so I had a, a shoulder issue, and I couldn't throw for a while, so I played a lot of first base. And I was working my way back, you know, a little bit of physical therapy, et cetera. And then I was throwing again, feeling decent. Finally, uh, the coach put me in a game where we were down and I was so bad in that game. Like it was the worst pitching I've ever done in my life. My first thing back, I was missing the zone a lot, getting hit around a lot. And this kid I won't say his name, even though people would know if I actually said it out loud, um, pointed on me. He, he did the Babe Ruth point. And I threw it at his head. But <laughs> my aim was so bad that it ended up just jamming him and he hit a little shot back to me and I threw it out for the last out of the inning. Oh, so you got him out. I got him out, but I was able to say he was going for the head. <laughs> Dude, you shouldn't be ashamed of that. If you're going to point, that's kicking a man when he's down. My favorite Behringer in this moment is the slow-mo of him running down the line and the, the, the helmet pops off. He's I mean, going so slow. So well, I thought, like, again, watching it, I assumed that they're going to do some, like, uh, situation where he, like, blows out his knees permanently, but he's safe. So they win the game, but his career's over. I mean, he might have. He, he fell down. He might have blown yeah. out his knees. He didn't That's die. What I thought. That's yeah. the best part. He doesn't dive for first. He goes through the bag and then just falls down. It's awesome. I think if I ran full speed, like if I tried to run a 100-yard dash right now, I would probably do that. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I mean, without further ado, like they they win the pennant. It's so awesome how Willie Mays Hayes crosses home plate, like immediately pops up, runs into Jake Taylor's arms. Crowd comes down on the field, which they actually, I was going to say they need to bring that back. They don't need to bring that back into the MLB where everybody just ran on the field. Have you guys ever seen like uh, when – hank aaron broke the home run record and there's just guys running with him on the bases like yeah, rules what uh, that, that, <laughs> that that can't happen that should not but it rules does everybody it's just good vibes man if, if, if you can guarantee good vibes i know you can't that's why we can't have it but. <laughs> it would look so different now they're just it'd be like paparazzi everybody's cell phones would be in your face like, i think that's, that's, a, that's a big reason why yeah all right so I mean, that's major well, league for me. Well, do you really. have any thoughts on the the alternate ending? Have you guys oh, heard about that, that? Yes. I so I didn't know about it. Obviously, I I read about it. the The alternate ending is that it's revealed who who, who who's the person that confronts uh, the the owner. So in the alternate ending, it comes out that the owner tells the manager, Lou Brown, after they win the pennant, how proud she is because her husband actually was bankrupt that's why the team couldn't afford anybody that's why the team couldn't afford the charter planes and and the hot tubs and everything and that she knew from watching him because she's a big baseball seam head that lou brown is the guy that she could get to bring this all together and save this for cleveland and that she had the whole miami subplot as a 
way that everyone could rally against her for the betterment of the team. I personally think that sucks. I don't think it would have been a fatal flop. I, like, I feel like if we saw that version of the movie and hadn't seen the current version, but I don't think it's better. I, I think it, it would have been like, okay, it would have been, it would have been a little, uh, uh, that's so hokey. And they already do have such a happy ending that adding another la- layer of happiness, that's when you start thinking about how unbelievable things are. Cause I don't care about like believability in movies. It would just been too much, too many, like we're just putting on like some whipped cream on the ice cream. Like I already got my whipped cream. I already got my chocolate syrup. I already got my caramel sauce. Maybe I don't need the maraschino cherry. And that would have been yeah. the maraschino cherry that I don't necessarily need. And she's the villain in this. It would be weird if it's all of a sudden like, oh, we're all on the same team. Like the, the what kind of makes this movie fun is like these guys want revenge on her. And if she becomes a good guy at the end, it's kind of tricky, I think, for sure. It reframes it. It's a weird ending where it reframes the entire movie. And I get it because that's like a cool twist to some extent. But this isn't this just happens to be not the movie that needs that. No, I um, I completely agree. Rachel Phelps should stay exactly as Rachel Phelps is the heel of this movie, and so she does great, a great performance too. Not, yeah, like she does a great job doing it. I think too. She shout out to her the, the actress. What's her name? Rachel Phelps. It's so good. All right, Brady. It's time. Double feature. Um, I think I've done a lot of thinking about this. Now there's a lot of more obvious routes to go with, um, put some, I could put some shine on other baseball movies, but what got me most excited about this movie was underdogs. I love a movie about underdogs. And this is a movie that we could very well cover someday. I wouldn't be surprised if we did. Um, I'm going with a documentary. One of my favorite of all time, uh, 2007 classic. The King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters. The story of Steve <laughs> Weeby versus Billy Mitchell. Great movie. To get, yeah, to get the King Kong record. Um, or sorry, the Donkey Kong record on the uh, the old ar- arcade cabinet. I think it's one of the f- funniest documentaries. It's also weirdly emotionally moving on a subject matter. And I, I also, it's very much, I, I feel like I rewatch it relatively often but ultimately it is that under everyone loves an underdog story and there's literally no bigger underdog in history than steve weeby and you watch this documentary and you get like so you get so caught up in it because they also realize an underdog's nothing without a villain and maybe steve weeby isn't the greatest underdog of all time but billy mitchell is maybe the greatest villain like cartoon character villain but he's a real person in history and I guarantee that when you watch this movie, it will you will be smiling throughout it. <laughs> and I think that if that can happen in a documentary, I think that's that's a great thing. And I think maybe we, I could see us covering it someday. Um, but yeah, I think that's the double feature I'm, I'm I'm going for for this one. Let's kick it to Brian for our uh, the first rating of the night. I'm actually going to switch it up on you guys. I I have one more question that is a very very difficult question that might be hard to answer quickly so i'm i'm going to i'm going to push you guys here i guess so obviously as john mentioned this movie kind of started the uh music coming out of the bullpen and the the warm up music what song are you all running out of the bullpen to yeah i knew you were going to ask this actually
Probably Cochise by Audio Slave. I love it. Uh, that like either that or, like I wanted to go Chair of Rock by the Smashing Pumpkins. You really have to go something though that like the fans can rise to. Um, you know, like I know your boy Edwin Diaz has the Narcos, and that's sick. It is, but I don't know. You 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 really have to go hard, hard rock, and that's not really my thing. Um, but those two, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cochise or Cherub Rock, but definitely Cochise. This is a total gut reaction because I'll be honest. When I played baseball, I didn't get to the level where we had walk-up songs. I know in high school they had them. I wasn't that good. And I haven't really ever given this much thought. So my gut reaction is Fly by Sugar Ray. I feel like... (laughs) It it lets the people know what's coming. This ball's going to be flying over the the, the outfield. That's not good. You don't want the ball to fly. (laughs) <laughs> sorry i was thinking of I, I didn't even consider it a possibility that i'd be a pitcher i was assuming that i'd be You're all right well, changes it. oh oh yeah yeah okay if i was a batter sledgehammer is my is my yeah, okay <laughs> yeah, but i think fly still plays for the uh pitcher. yeah it does yeah because you're flinging it you're, you're all right, you're, yeah. all right brian what are you doing narcos well, it's, it's actually hilarious that you said fly by Sugar Ray. And I didn't think about like, oh, that's maybe not the best message for coming out of the pen. But I had a similar thought. I had, uh, this is really random, but I, I feel like coming out to fly away by Lenny Kravitz would be pretty smooth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so the way we score the movies is we do it. We keep it simple. You, you're either not the goat, one of the goats, or the goat. That's how we do it. Doesn't mean a movie's bad if it's not the goat. It just means it's not the goat. It doesn't mean, yeah. That's keep. That's the, that's the, this is the, that's the way we roll. Brian, hit us with your rating. All right. So, Major League. Uh, I'm gonna say one of the goats. Um, I mean it. I don't know. <laughs> I think what I love about this movie so much, and I've touched on this a little bit, is just most sports movies just aren't that realistic, I feel like. You watch them and you're like, yeah, I don't know if that would happen. I'm not buying that. I think Major League is like pretty well thought out. I mean, you've got movies that come out like any given Sunday, and I feel like I bashed that movie a little too much, but they couldn't even get NFL logos in that movie. This movie, like, you, it it feels real to me. And, like, a lot of the scenarios you see and little details, I think, are very well thought out, which I think makes it fun from a sports movie perspective. And then it is funny. I mean, it's a comedy. There are a lot of great lines. Um, I feel like I should mention, I don't know if all of this movie aged incredibly well. There are certainly some, I would say characters that maybe aren't written the way uh that wouldn't be written today the way that they were back then i mean pedro serrano being probably the classic example so some of it also i feel like jake taylor being a stalker like maybe that doesn't age very well either um but you know every movie that you see from 1989 is going to have some flaws i'm sure uh that are similar to those so um anyways I love this movie. I, I think uh, it's one of the funniest sports movies, sports comedies, whatever you want to call it. It's definitely one of the best. It, I'd say top 
five sports movies ever, and that includes non-comedy ones for me. I mean, Major League really is a classic to me. It's a, it's a great movie. Brady. So I'll be honest. I I, I walked into this uh, meeting, and I was going to go not one of the goats, but – the conversation has turned me a little bit because like the things that Brian just mentioned, it is a little dated in, in, in a lot of ways. Um, and I think what I would like to to have seen more is more focused on like, I wanted more Charlie Sheen and Wesley Snipes, that kind of stuff. Um, but it is so influential in all the other sports movies that came after. And I do, I, like you're saying, I get caught up in that final game. It, it You get so caught up in it and, and the excitement of it. So I think it really works on that level. Um, obviously I don't have any nostalgia for it because I hadn't seen it <laughs> until recently. So I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to go one of the goats. And I think the the main re- reason is the cast. I think the cast is really solid. I mean, it obviously it goes through a lot of predictable, as far as the script goes, it's pretty, you know, a lot of the, a, a lot of sports movies follow this formula, but I think it executed the formula very well. Definitely had a lot of laugh moments and, I think I'm giving the MVP to to the announcer. I think he's the one that really pushed it over the edge into the, one of the goats territory for me. Yeah, uh, the goat. That's what I'm going to give this one is uh, I'll give it the goat. And, um, you know, we talked about some of the great baseball movies of this time. And I just think that this is, this is the best of them. Maybe Bull Durham comes close. But, I mean, this movie's so funny to me. I've seen it so many times and um, the characters, I mean, Rick Vaughn coming out of the bullpen, Serrano running the bases, they're just, it never gets old to me, the MasterCard commercial. And, um, you know, more than anything, like like I said, some other uh, movies might romanticize baseball a little more, like Bull Durham or The Natural or, or Field of Dreams, but... Uh, um, for uh for me this romanticizes my childhood it reminds me of of watching games with my dad uh the bond that we shared over over baseball watching this movie over and over again having his favorite team be the indians and him still waiting for that championship just like the writer is and so for me you know there's a big emotional attachment to this movie and, and it's so perfect in so many different ways and so that that for me, like that's why this is the go, and uh, the, just the the emotional connection that I have. I'm not gonna wax poetic anymore, but Brian, tell us what we got next week for homework. I know you're getting emotional over there about Major League. I love it. It's it's a classic, man. That's good stuff. Um, so this week for homework, we're going to do a Cone Brothers film uh, called Fargo, uh, 1996 film. Um, it's an American classic. For a while, it was on the AFI Top 100 Movies of All Time. I feel like it's a movie that almost everybody should see. But um, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, it it's uh, it's an interesting one. It's definitely a little bit older. Um, I guess I keep choosing late 80s, early 90s movies, but um, hopefully you all enjoy. Is this also our first Buscemi? Oh, God. Yeah, it is. Yeah, That's I think exciting. it is. That's very exciting. Thank you once again for listening to the Movie Goats podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, download, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And Brady. Bye.